Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. I am Dr. Bill Kanaski. I am getting ready to go to the gym right now. So as I'm doing this podcast, we're going to mix a little vitamin and energy drink for the workout. Today is going to be biceps and triceps, folks. I'm just telling you right now, do your arms on a separate day. Do not do them on the same day that you're doing chest or back. You really want to isolate these muscle groups. A lot of people do chest and tries on the same day. Completely disagree with that. That's not necessary. You're not going to get quite the workout. You can always contact me for fitness advice. So doing biceps and triceps today. That'll be interesting. And so I figured I'd record a little podcast as I'm getting ready. For this ordeal and head over to the gym because I wanted to talk to you about an important part of trial testimony that does not get enough attention. And that part is what I would call the teaching moment. So if you have a case in which your expert is going to get off the stand and have the teaching moment, it's important that you um, you got to meet the jurors where they are. This is really, really critical. And you may have a defendant. For example, if you work in medical malpractice and you're going to have your physician get off the stand and have that teaching moment with jurors, um, there are some principles that you have to follow. And these, now, these are really, really important parts of the testimony. So what's really, really important here is that you understand that the jurors are, um, remember, we have this concept of juror cognitive lag, which means that they lag behind in their cognition. And if the person, whether it be the expert witness or your defendant, is getting off the stand for the teaching moment on direct examination, it's important that you understand that these jurors are not going to be able to follow along very well if you violate certain concepts. So we have to remember that these jurors are probably trying to take notes. They don't have uh, any experience in the area that they're being taught usually. Oh man, that's a good energy drink. And so we have to make some adjustments to our teaching methodology here. Because, again, back if you're in medical malpractice, your doctor is not teaching a group of medical students, teaching a group of jurors. So a couple principles that we have to keep in mind, which are very important. <clears throat> Number one, you had better practice. So you better practice this. Okay, It does need to be choreographed to an extent. So again, whether it's the expert witness or a defendant, it's very important that this process be practiced. You do not want to get up in front of a jury and this is the first time that you're doing this. That is not going to work. I'd say you need to go through it five to ten times would be, um, I think, appropriate to make sure that the witness is comfortable uh, with the material you can work on your, you know, work on your timing. And um, there's going to be some 
probably some kind of start and stop process between defense counsel uh, and the uh, witness to ask some questions, you know, during this teaching process. That's a balancing act. That's going to have to be practiced. You just can't, you just can't get up there and wing it, right? Well, I think a lot of attorneys get up there and wing it. Now, if you are a plaintiff attorney, plaintiff attorneys, hello. I know you're out there. And I have no problem with you listening to the podcast. Welcome. Welcome, plaintiff attorneys. Now, if you're a plaintiff attorney, right, you're not going to get your client up there on the stand uh, for a teaching moment, but you will have your expert witness maybe doing a teaching moment. So this applies to both plaintiff and defense attorney. See, we try to be very well balanced here on the Litigation Psychology Podcast. But uh, there is going to be a Q&A during this teaching moment. And that, again, has to be a balancing act. And I don't think it should be, again, 100% scripted or choreographed. But there needs to be a roadmap. You guys have to have a roadmap on what you're going to teach to the jury, uh, where certain questions are going to be placed, and to really do what it takes to, um, I think, impress the jury, right? You, you want to do a, you know, a good job and your witness has to come across as both confident and competent to get the message across and to be a good teacher uh, to the jury. A couple of the main mistakes I see here, a couple of the main mistakes I see here, um, and then we're gonna we're gonna get the truck. We're gonna we're gonna do the rest of this podcast in the uh, the Dodge Ram because I'm very big on having a pickup truck. I think a pickup truck is great. So we're gonna head out to the Dodge Ram and do the rest of this podcast. Okay. So number one mistake I see being made, and this is this is a chronic mistake. I see this all the time, and that is going to fast. These jurors are trying to follow along. And what I see is the attorney and the witness going back and forth very rapidly. So that's with the Q&A, that's with the teaching. And this is, again, this is golden time that you have with these jurors. And it should not be rushed under any circumstance. But the problem is you get your witness. They're enthusiastic. Let's fire up the, uh, the Dodge Ram. They're enthusiastic. They want to do a good job. And that's fantastic. But at the same time, it could be a problem. Okay, let's turn this radio off. All right. So cannot go too fast got to take your time and you have to read the audience. What do I mean by that? Well, some jurors will be fervent note takers, right? And if you're going too fast, they're trying to write down things and yeah, you're kind of making their life impossible if you're going too fast. And so the witness has to be trained to really keep an eye on the jurors, watch, um, you know, who's taking notes, who's not taking notes. And to make sure that the appropriate uh, level of speed and pausing really matches what they're, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. 
pausing is really important because jurors need to catch up. Remember, so we have this concept of juror cognitive lag. The jurors are going to be lagging behind because all of this stuff is new to them. And listen, some of these teaching moments, I mean, again, you have an expert witness trying to explain maybe like some engineering principles to the jury. That's really, really hard stuff. Uh, I do a lot of business and commercial litigation. And in those cases, you know, you're going over spreadsheets and accounting and math. I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that could be a nightmare uh, to teach the jurors. Um, again, if you're a defense counsel and you're working in medical malpractice um, and you're having your defendant get up and explain the in and outs of bariatric surgery or, you know, uh, coronary artery bypass graft or heart transplantation or whatever it is, uh, this is complicated material. And so, I, again, I see this number one problem of the witness kind of getting excited, getting enthusiastic, which is fantastic, by the way. You, you want the witness to be passionate about what they're doing. That's very important to jurors. At the same time, they can get carried away. And so if that witness starts going too fast, and then if the attorney is going to jump in, again, whether it be plaintiff attorney with their expert or the defense attorney with their expert or the defendant, if they're going to jump in with some kind of clarifying questions during this teaching moment in front of the jury, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But then if that starts going too fast, what ends up happening is th these jurors end up just falling behind. They end up falling behind and they cannot handle, <laughs> they cannot handle, it's, it's information overload, okay? Now, as you know, and this is the big problem, because I'm a teacher, I do a lot of teaching and I taught at the university level and I teach witnesses and I do all these seminars and, and, and public speaking is, uh, you know, the jury cannot raise their hand and say, hey, can you repeat that? Or, hey, can you back up two slides? Now, the nice thing about these seminars that I teach or in the witness training is they can raise their hand. They can speak up. You know, the jury can't do that. So you pretty much got one shot at this. So when you're doing your practice sessions with your witness, it's really crit critical, I think, to, uh, to work on the speed, make sure that you're not going too fast, and that there's a really nice balance, and that both attorney, this is key, key right here, both the attorney and the witness can read the jury to determine if they are keeping up, okay? And so if you're, again, you're a plaintiff attorney or you're a defense attorney and you notice these jurors are falling behind because many of them are scribbling notes and they look <laughs> like they're falling behind, right? You got to recognize that and be able to stop. You may want to repeat a question, right? Or say, say to the witness, you know, hey, let's, let's back up one step and just repeat that to make the jury understand. Okay. It's very, very important to do this okay and so that's the number number one issue number two issue is the use of visual stimuli right <laughs> and so again depending on your witness um, you're gonna have to show them things while you're teaching and that's a really really great way to teach but 
you know, what are you showing them? Uh, is it juror friendly or is it too complicated? Now, you know, on all of these focus groups and mock trials that we're doing, one of the main things that we're testing is how effective are the visuals and the exhibits as far as teaching, right? So like, for example, in uh, trucking and transportation, it could be something like accident reconstruction, right? Or you're going to show um, a visual, like an overhead, like a Google Maps earth view, right? Of the intersection of the collision, right? You got to make sure that stuff is not confusing your jury. And the only way to do that is to test it in front of a panel of mock jurors. Now, uh, I know for a fact that a lot of plaintiff attorneys do focus groups just on this issue because they want to make sure that their experts, um, you know, can really bond with a jury and teach them. And so they'll do focus groups to actually test this to make sure that the jurors are comprehending and understanding the information. So having the right visuals but also making sure that the visuals are not overwhelming to the jury. That's, that's really what we're, uh, we're focused on here. And so um, that's where I think a lot of the, uh, where a lot of the jury research can help you, not only with your, your themes and stuff like that, um, but to really see, you know, are these visuals that we're gonna use in front of this jury, are they too much? Are they not enough, right? And there's really no good way to um, understand that. Now, I just did a focus group yesterday. And one of the surprising results to the legal team was that with, they thought their visuals, right? And the way uh, that the expert was uh, presenting them, they thought they were solid. And it turned out the, jur the most of the mock jurors didn't understand anything. They were really, really confused. And so the lesson there is, again, whether you're a plaintiff attorney or a defense attorney, don't assume that the jurors are going to understand it because you understand it. Okay? That's really not good enough. And then the other kind of mistake I see made all the time, again, this is equally distributed. Plaintiff attorneys are very guilty of this, and defense attorneys are too, is you don't do like you don't run your visuals okay for this teaching moment you, you don't run these by like paralegals in the office or some family members okay they're not your jury pool <laughs> they're not and so one of the main mistakes i see in not just visuals but other areas is that you kind of bounce things off yeah you know, your office mates uh, or your friends and family thinking that they're going to give you some valid and reliable feedback. No, no, they're, no, they're not. Um, the only way to do that is to really do it the right way, which is by getting a representative sample, uh, doing a focus group, and actually running this stuff by them, collecting data. That's the only accurate way uh, uh, to do this. So got to put a lot of work into those visuals to get them tweaked on where you're going to get your maximal learning value with the jury okay so number okay so we talked about speed number one can't go too fast uh, number two the effectiveness of the visuals right don't want to overwhelm number three is the language being used so again when when your expert witness or the defendant is getting off of the stand and has that opportunity to teach okay uh, they can't 
talk way, way, way above the jurors. Now, what they can do, and I encourage this, they can use, for example, if it's a defendant physician, they can use official, official medical terms, right? Which the jury will not be able to understand. But after they use those terms, if they go ahead and then define those terms, right, on their level, that's really, really effective. You have to remember who your audience is. And I see a lot of witnesses, uh, both expert and fact witnesses, uh, give information to jurors and it's too complicated. The, the, the words are too, you know, if you're, an, again, if it's engineering or accident reconstruction or medicine or one of these business cases where there's a lot of accounting, these jurors aren't going to understand shit. They're going to they're get lost. And you'll never know they're getting lost because they can't interact with you during uh, the process. So I think it's a good rule of thumb to, uh, as you're pre preparing for this type of testimony, to make sure that when your witness is going to explain complicated terms and processes to a jury, that they can, they can do so in a very official, complicated manner. But then really right after that, they have to re-describe it. They have to redefine it. They have to use examples, analogies to really get at the jury at their level. Because if they just get the scientific, right, explanation, and they do that the whole time, there is no way, right? The, these jurors are not graduate students. They're not medical students. They're not engineering students. Yeah, you, know, you got you got some retired folks. You got um, uh, uh, housewives, right? You have stay-at-home uh, uh, people. You have people from you know, there are teachers or other industries that just have never been exposed uh, to this type of uh, material. So I would argue that the uh, side, whether it be plaintiff or defense, right, the side that's able to connect with the jurors on language has a massive advantage. The side that's able to explain and break down these really complex whether it be scientific relationships, medical things, engineering, accident reconstruction, which may involve physics and speed and things like that. The side that's able to simplify these concepts has a massive advantage at the jury level. And let me go a step further. Ready for this? I think it's impossible. I think it's 100% impossible to truly Get the jury to understand all of it. I don't think that should be the goal because I think that's impossible. I think the goal needs to be to get get them to understand some of it and maybe maybe most of it, okay? But they're never going to understand all of it. And think about this. For example, let's take experts. If the plaintiff expert gets up there and they can explain this stuff and, and, and they, they get half of it across and they put in the effort and the jury sees the effort of that expert to help them learn. That's, I think that's a win, right? But then defense expert gets up there and maybe it don't have quite that effort and the jury only gets maybe 10 or 20% of it. Think about that. That's a, that's a, that's a massive advantage for the plaintiff. Now, let's reverse that. Plaintiff expert gets up there, 
and, and, and the jury only gets 20% of it, but then the defense expert gets up and they get half. That's now a massive advantage for the defense side. So this stuff is really important. I don't think it gets enough attention. I think that there's a lot of assumptions that get made. Um, and again, while, while you, the attorney, may you know think your visuals and your language, like you may think it's good, you really don't know. And I'm and, and listen, I'm I'm not I'm not an idiot. I, I know you guys can't do focus groups and mock trials on every case. <laughs> I get that. But that's really the only way. So if you if you have a high exposure case, right? You have a case that's over you know five million dollars. And I know exposure is relative. Okay. To to Johnson and Johnson, five million dollars is nothing. To a local trucking company, it's everything. Okay. So depending on the exposure of the case, th this is one of the top things that you want to be testing in your mock trials and focus groups is to see, you know, how are these issues and messages on these complex topics, you know, how is this being digested by the jury, if at all? You know, do we need to do more? Do we need to do less? Now, sometimes, I'd say most of the time, what you'll find is you need to simplify things. The things that you're presenting are too complex and you need to water it down a little bit and explain it at a more basic rudimentary level. That's generally the problem I see. However, sometimes it is the opposite. Sometimes you need to upgrade your visuals. Sometimes you need to make it just a little bit more advanced because maybe what you're doing is too basic. Okay. And so, again, uh, I think this is a really important topic. No one really talks about this. I think everybody, I think when it comes to the expert witnesses, everybody just trusts the expert, particularly if they've testified a lot, that the expert's going to, you know, come in and knock the socks off of the, uh, the jurors. But that's not always the case. It's really, really not. Um, and again, what you think is good testimony may, in fact, not be good testimony. It may be overwhelming. It may not be working, and that's why I think you need to use the jury research uh, when you have that opportunity. All right, I am pulling in uh, the LA Fitness parking lot. We are going to go really, really hard on uh, biceps and triceps today, but uh, I thought it'd be a pretty cool thing to record a podcast on the way to the gym. Um, thank you very much for participating in the Litigation Psychology Podcast. This is Dr. Bill Kanaski. We will see you next time.